Mysterious Woods, a podcast by Squatch Dogs. There are many a great mystery on this planet, but none so compelling as those that happen in the cover of darkness. The woods will come alive as we unravel the secret she holds. Here are your hosts, Ann Walls and Big Dog Mendoza. Thank you for joining Mysterious Woods. I am one of your hosts, Ann Walls. And Big Dog. Big Dog. The other host. The other host. The hostesses. Because you said we talk about ghostesses and UFOsesses and. You like that? Bigfootesses. (laughs) Yeah. So you're a hostesses. So guess who we have on the show? Is it Jeff Stewart's? (gasps) How did you know that? It was a guess. It's supposed to be a surprise. Oh, I don't know. Wow. We got a rat somewhere. I'm going to find out who it is, who told you. All right. Well, welcome to the show, Jeff. How are you? How are both of my bestest sisters buddies? Um, I'm exhausted from my super secret Bigfoot expedition. Yeah, I saw that. We're just making a joke. It's not super secret. It is super secret the area but the whole trip is not super secret we were just trying to have a little bit of fun okay so we have jeff crypto hulk stewart on the show and i want to talk to you about your chapter in the wood knocks book volume two it's a book by david weatherly journal of sasquatch research and you have a chapter in there about the texas goat man so tell me how did you get involved with Goatman? Lost him again. Well, it all happened back when I was a young <laughs> snapper. I was riding my bike and I see this goat and he stood up and said, Hey, player. And I was like, Oh my God. Oh, what? I was, I was filling in for you. <laughs> you missed Man, it. I, I, I was just sitting here like like talking away and and then I finished talking and and I was like nothing crickets. I was like That's uh, hilarious. And then I looked up and it said join call. And I was like, well, I, I was already joined. How did you get involved with the Texas Goat Man? Well, if you must pry, we must. You know, yeah, that's what I say. You know, you got to do the blazing saddles. We must. We must. <laughs> <laughs> um, David Weatherly actually contacted me and was like, you know, uh, I really would like to get you to do a chapter in this next book that I'm doing. Uh, I was a big fan of the first Wood Knox book and I uh, thought it had some great contributing authors in it and, had, you know, some great stories in it. And was just really excited to be a part of this series of books. And so I sat down and I thought, you know, what am I going to write about? I want to write about something that nobody else has written about. I want to write about something that's going to be interesting. And it just came to me that, you know, what about this Goatman stuff? You know, the Lake Worth monster. There's actually two or three Goatman legends, you know, circling around Texas. And so I really like to keep my 
stuff that I write about and talk about centralized to the state of Texas, uh, maybe a little into Louisiana or Arkansas, but not much. I like to stay close to where I live. I really got to research in this, this goat man phenomena and came up with a lot of theories and a lot of workable ideas that could explain some of this goat man stuff that didn't actually have to deal with, you know, somebody having a child with a goat, which is, you know, impossible, you know, that, that DNA doesn't match like that. So you can't actually do that. So I kind of looked into it and got these uh, stories from around here, had a lot of uh, hunters and different people that would, you know, that were willing to contribute to what I was wanting to write. And so I sat down and I just came up with what I wanted to write about as far as the goat man went, which covered um, ideas that, as far as I know, nobody else ever toyed with as far as the goat man. Went. So you have a couple of stories in the book. Are you willing to go into some of those stories or would you just rather buy the book, see what's in it? No, 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 no. I, I would love to whet people's appetite. <laughs> Go for, ahead. For book, you know, because, you know, whatever we, we touch on, you know, is not going to ruin any of the book because there's not just my chapter in the book. There's chapters in there from, you know, the likes of Ken Gerhard, Lyle Blackburn. Um, oh, my gosh. Uh, man, of course, David Weatherly himself has, yeah. has chapters in these in this Woodknock series of books, and there's four of them. And I was lucky to contribute to two of the uh, books, number two and number four. So um, I don't think we'll we'll ruin anything but yeah. if we talk a little bit about everything. There's even something in there from Lauren Coleman, exactly. um, Christopher O'Brien. Yes, the Godfather. You know, you think you meet Lauren, you think that Lauren. Lauren ought to be talking like this over here, you know. <laughs> come, to, come to see about the Bigfoot and the Chupacabra, you know. Yeah. You think, but he, he's not. He, he's just a really polite man and everything. He but, is. But, you, know, you think the godfather of, of cryptozoology, you know, you think Lauren ought to be in a tux in the back of a seedy restaurant or something, selling, you know, papers on, <laughs> you know, the dead gum Ogopogo or something. Yes. I drove him around in a golf cart at the Texas Bigfoot Conference one year. <laughs> Were you there when I gave him the big bear hug? Yes. No. <laughs> he didn't know what to do. He gave me this. I was, I was, he had a deer in the headlights look. Yes. <laughs> he, just, he didn't know what to do because I was leaving and I was saying bye to everybody. And then he just kind of turned around and go like, all right, man, I'll see you later. And I ran over and gave him a big old hug and lifted him up off the ground and he was just standing there like oh my god jesus lord help me <laughs> crazy texans <laughs> we're friendly that's funny yes we yes, are we are we are so friendly we are Maybe friendly too. until we're not friendly yeah. mm, truth <laughs> don't cross us we'll cut you we will give you the shirt off our back but yeah. if you go across that certain line We'll wrap yeah. you in that shirt to put you in the hole we just dug for you. <laughs> Amen, brother. Amen. So tell us some of the stories that you wrote about in your chapter. How about the Denton now, one? Now, in Denton, we have the Goatman Bridge. Yeah. Right? Denton, that one right there, when I started researching that, it broke my heart. 
because when you start reading this and you start finding out, you know, this man, he was a good man. Everybody in the community loved him. He bred goats and sold goats. So he was called the goat man. Everybody referred to him as the old goat man. And they lived across at the end of the bridge. Well, some idiot clansmen decided that, you know, they didn't like this guy because everybody liked him. So they had to hate him. And so one night they snuck across the bridge. They murdered his family. They put drug him back to the middle of the bridge, tied him to the bridge to hang him, to kill him. And they dropped him over the side. Man. Whenever one of the evildoers here, these despicable pieces of crap, mm-hmm. looked over the side of the bridge, because I guess they wanted to look at their handiwork, there was nobody in the noose. He was gone. They never found him. The legend has it that after that, you could go to that bridge and you could hear him walking on that bridge you could you could hear the goats you could hear their hooves on the bridge you could hear the little bells around their necks and that legend has lasted and those uh, phenomena have lasted to this day it's terrible it's disgusting really that happened in the 30s my memory fails me but i think that it was around 1938 i believe so his name was oscar washburn oscar washburn Yes. Yeah, just with a name like that, you got to know he was a kind old man. You know, I know, right? You don't name him a, a, a mean person, Oscar Washburn. You yeah, know? That, that, that's that's somebody that that passed ladies on the street and tipped his hat, even if they were twenty years younger than he was. Right? You know, that, that that's the kind of fellow that that everybody said that Mister Washburn was that he was a hard worker, that he provided for his family, and that there really wasn't any normal human being that lived around there that had a bad word to say about him. It was only the undesirable element that we find all over the place that yeah. you know, just decided that you know we can't have this, this person uh, being liked by everyone, so we've got to go do something stupid and despicable. I wonder if there are any records that we could dig up on that. Whenever I was writing that, I, I was able to dig out quite a bit of uh, records about that. I even petitioned the uh, courthouse there for any records or anything, and there really weren't any records that they could give me. And I mm-hmm. could have driven there and actually went and looked through some archives and things and uh, might could have found something, but they, they sent me everything that they could send over the internet and things like that and you know you basically just got dates and you know a report that was taken you know about them hanging him and and things like that but of course at that time you've got to understand that nobody cared honestly nobody cared about finding the guys that did this because in all honesty some of these guys probably were prominent citizens Absolutely, they were. They knew each other. It was a different time, you know, and despicable things happened to what were at the time were called disposable human beings. And it's sad, but, you know, that's the reality. And and we have to face that. We can't we can't deny it. We can't uh, tear it down. We can't destroy it and say it just goes away. 
We can't yeah. do type history here um we need to we need to teach our kids about it we need to learn from it ourselves and it, it also goes to a lot of the legend and the lore of texas you know texas is so much legend so much lore. we don't need to get rid of any of it no we don't because if you do it's bound to repeat itself amen and exactly. we don't want that never never do we want that no. Go back, back to the story there. <laughs> but you know, we that digress. Was, yeah. That, that, you know, we could talk about other stuff all night long. But, mm -hmm. you know, you find that there are more than one, more than two, more than three, more than five goat men legends just in the state of Texas. There's one yeah. in Houston. I think I told you about this, but I don't know how long ago this was that you wrote this, but... We have one in Houston. We call it Van Road. Yes. And, oh, Goatman Road. And, you know, as high schoolers, we would sneak down there and drive to the end of the road and Goatman would appear. But I don't think any of us ever saw him. And quite honestly, I don't even know the story behind it. Why is it called Goatman Road? What happened out there? That people started calling it Goatman Road. And I know in your book or in your chapter, you talk about maybe mistaken identity. One of the avenues I wanted to go down with that was what I came face to face with looks nothing like your quintessential description of Bigfoot. We're not talking about a nine foot tall, 800 pound thick fur, hair-covered, gorilla-looking, monkey-faced Bigfoot, cone-headed and all that. No, I, I did not see that. What I saw looked more like an Australian Aboriginal than a hulking gorilla. And, you know, one of the things that I tell people all the time is, if you call me with a report of, say, in the middle of August here in Texas, and you tell me you saw a nine-foot-tall creature covered with hair from head to toe, thick fur from head to toe. I'm probably going to say, no, you didn't. And I, and I hate to be that guy, but coming from a wildlife expert kind of place, you can't survive in Texas in the middle of August, middle of July, with a thick fur coat from head to toe. You would die of heat stroke. Every animal that has a thick set of fur, they shed it, and they don't start growing it back till like mid-December, because we don't have cool weather here where we're at until mid-December. We may have a cool snap. We may have a week of cold weather, but we don't actually have those day-in, day-out, uh, you know, nighttime temperatures getting down in the 40s or below until December. And sometimes so, January. Sometimes January. Sometimes not at all. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, when people come in, they say, well, I saw this big, thick, fur-coated thing. I'm going, no. So then I go back to my own sightings, and I'm like, okay, what did their fur look like? What did they look like? They looked more human than they did simian, more human than, than, than gorilla. So we have Native American tribes throughout the entirety of North America. Even Africa and things like that, you have tribal people. And what do they do? They wear the skins of the animals they're hunting 
either as ceremonially or as camouflage. They make headdresses out of skulls and horns and skins and things like this. So what if some of these goat man sightings are not of a half goat, half man creature, but of a Bigfoot who is basically doing what every other indigenous person did at one point in time throughout history? And that is where the skins and furs and and horns and things of the creatures that they were hunting in order to get closer or, you know, disguise themselves, whatever. And so I kind of went down that path with a what if. And some of the stories that people were willing to share with me matched Um, one story, a, a, uh, guy was bow hunting for hogs and he was sitting up in a tree and he watched one of these creatures, one of these goat man creatures come in to kill some hogs. And it had horns, like little spindly goat looking horns on its head, but it did not have hooves and and things like that. So, you know, you start thinking about it and, and it makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot more sense, and we're talking about the realm of, of cryptozoology and Bigfoot here, so a lot of people will say, oh, that's nonsense anyway. No, it's not, in my opinion, but, you know, y'all's either. But and if you're listening to this show, probably everybody's opinion it's not nonsense. But, you know, when you get to a point where there's no basis in the animal kingdom for something, like Bigfoot being able to disappear going right. uh, there there's no precedent in the animal kingdom for any mammal covered with fur or hair being able because bigfoot would probably be more hair than fur um because hair and fur are totally different things um there's no precedent for them to be able to for that fur that hair follicle to be able to tr- turn translucent or go invisible or anything like that so unless we go way into the you know alien snatch my grandma out the trailer park kind of uh, ideas we keep it in the realm of, of tangible physical scientific stuff then we can say well isn't it more likely that this creature was wearing a headdress or wearing the fur, the skin, the horns of an animal, say a, a little spike buck deer or something like that, rather than, you know, doesn't Edgar, you know, he's off his meds and out there making love to the goats again. You know, we know that's not, that's not really tangible. If it was, I mean, come on, we, we live in East Texas and there would be, you know, you'd go out in the pasture and there'd be some little deformed two-legged goat <laughs> over there going, then they get back to the house. Get back to the house and then, you know, uh, we, so we all know somebody. We all admit it. We all know somebody. We do. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, we boil down to this: if you're on the side of a Bigfoot being flesh and blood, which most of us are, you would have to believe then that this is some sort of a primate. So it's basically monkey see, monkey do. Exactly. And if these creatures, you know, we know that they've been around for, you know, just a tremendous amount of time because Native American cave drawings, things like that. You know, there's all kinds of pictures of different things that can be uh, 
looked at as Bigfoot. And, you know, every Native American tribe throughout North America had a name for Bigfoot. So we've pretty much got to know that they've been around for that long. Well, if they've been around for that long, then why would they not mimic what they see if they see this working, this camouflage, this use of animal parts, if they see it working or if they see, you know, if they saw one group dancing around a campfire wearing something on their head, they might imitate it. Who knows? Yeah, but it's a it's a it's a workable theory. It's a workable idea to me that is more viable than Bigfoot put on the Harry Potter cloak and disappeared. You know, absolutely. Or, or Bigfoot did the you know they beamed him up. You know, Klingon cloaking. I mean, anything like that. Because I mean, if we want to go into the realm of paranormal, I'm not beyond saying you know what. Bigfoot could be a spirit. You may see a haunting of a Bigfoot. We see hauntings of dogs, cats, deer, all of these different animals, residual yeah. hauntings and things like that. They're spectral animals, stories throughout history. Okay, maybe that may be a Bigfoot you saw appear and disappear. We can go there. Okay, I'm not beyond that. But if we're talking about a living, breathing creature, there's nothing in the scientific world that would lead us to believe that any creature can go invisible. Now, there are certain fishes and reptiles and things like that that can control um, the, what, are, what are they, the chromatophores or whatever it is in their skin. They can control, I may have just spoken wrong, don't hammer me on that but they can control <laughs> those and they can go there are cuttlefish that can go translucent you know we have uh, reptiles that can make their skin lighter and darker uh, according to their mood or according to to need whatever they need to do to blend in things yeah. like that their environment you know but there's nothing with a with hair on it that can do that no species at all in the entire world that we found that we can reference that can do that. So in my book, I, I don't want to waste time on saying, well, Bigfoot can do this, Bigfoot can do that, because in my opinion, if we start saying that Bigfoot can and can't do things before we've even proven 100% beyond a shadow of a doubt that they're real, it's right. like if Henry Ford would have said he was going to invent a Shelby TT Mustang that did 238 miles an hour before he ever invented the model. You know, I see we, where you're we, going with that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we, we've, we had an idea that we were going to build a car that would go 17 miles an hour and it would be like, but you know, we can build one that'll go 238 miles an hour. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> That's like, to, to people back in that time, that would have been like the speed of light, you know? Yeah. So you can't do that. Or, or the, 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 I can't remember his name, the fellow that invented the uh, hot air balloon, you know, uh, and actually, you know, had a working prototype there of that hot air balloon. It would have been like him predicting a, a, a jet fighter going, you know, 1,500 or more, whatever it is, miles per hour. 
you know, we, we can't even fathom that. We shouldn't be fathoming that. We shouldn't even be thinking about that before we've proven that that balloon can float, that that balloon can fly. All we, uh, all we have right now is just other people's stories. We have other people's stories, and we have a lot of anecdotal evidence. And we, to me, we have a tremendous amount of evidence that makes people that already believe, believe even more. Yeah. But we don't have one piece of evidence that makes anyone that does not believe change their mind. Agreed. Yeah. And, it's going to take a body. <laughs> it, and that's, that's where I was going. You know, yeah. the sad thing is it's going to take a body. And I've already resigned myself that I will not be the one that, that provides that body unless I'm attacked. I agree. If, if it's a me or it situation, yes. you know, I, I, I'm not beyond saving my own life because I'm armed wherever I go. So right. I'm not beyond me saving my own life. But if I'm sitting on a deer stand and one steps out down the pipeline from me, I'm not, I'm not going to kill it because yeah. to me, there's something inherently evil, something inherently wrong about killing possibly the rarest species on earth just to prove that it lives to kill something, to prove that it lives to me is inherently evil. You know, it's just yeah. me. And if, and if I shot one in self-defense, I'd be crying when I was done. Absolutely. Know? And I'm not a hunter at all, so I really would be crying. I don't have in me to pull a trigger on anything, you know, and. Oh, believe think- me, back straps are delicious. Bambi <laughs> is not safe in my neck of the woods. Well, but- I do love some wild <laughs> hog. I will tell you that. <laughs> my neighbor goes hunting quite a bit for that hog and. He, he stocks my freezer and they are delicious. <laughs> you know, a, a lot of people don't give wild hog a, a benefit that it needs to be given. Uh, people are like, oh, them old hogs are nasty. If, no, you've, uh-huh. never, if you've never eaten, now I grant you the big boars, they stink. Yeah. yeah they're boars. But yeah. if you've never taken a, a 40 or 50 pound shoat, dress that sucker out. Put it whole on a pit with some good mm. old mesquite smoke rolling on it and Reach set on. there and melted down about a gallon of butter and garlic sauce oh my and took you a little mop. And as that, as that bad boy is smoking on that mesquite, you just keep mm. mopping the outside of it down with that butter and garlic. Mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you what, you don't know what's good. You don't. They are delicious, delicious. How about you, big dog? You ever had wild hog before? Yeah. Pretty good. It's super good. I mean, you can put a a freaking pork chop from the store on a plate and a pork chop from a hog. And you can tell the difference. Well, I'll give you a really good for instance on that right there. Being that I've probably skint several thousand in my lifetime. Dear Lord. Well, during um hunting season and everything I, I that's one of my side hustles money is people bring me their hogs and deer and i skin them for them. oh uh, I, i'll charge somebody like 20 bucks to skin a hog i can skin a hog in less than 10 minutes so you know i, I charge a little more for deer but you know i'll cut them and quarter them for 20 bucks 
And I generally will have 10 or 15 hogs a week during deer season, people bring me. But if you take a store-bought pork chop, it is light pink in color. Yes, it is. You take a wild hog and you cut it open, it's mm-hmm. red meat. Mm-hmm. It, it, it is me hungry. So I want to talk about, you've had people report to you of seeing a goat man. I believe a Mr. R. Yes, the, the Lake Merval squirrel hunting. This gentleman, if I, if it's the memory is serving correct, he is actually a preacher. The thing about some of these uh, reports is that, you know, these people say, okay, I don't want you to use my name. I don't want you to tell anybody who I am. I don't want you, I, I don't want anything out of this whatsoever. I just want to tell you what I saw. So to me, that that so validates. So it really makes me believe that this person saw what they say they saw because they want nothing out of it. Because on the flip side, I same type stuff happen. But the first thing out of somebody's mouth is, so you think I can make money out of this? Okay. You think somebody won't more pay me to tell the story on TV? Can you, t- can you get me in touch with Discovery Channel? And I'm sitting there going, dude, do you think if I had that kind of pull, one, if I had that kind of pull with the Discovery Channel, you wouldn't see my face plastered all over it 24-7? <laughs> you know, if I could if I could be, make, be pulling down, you know, 60, 70 grand a year or more on the Discovery Channel for doing some show about, you know, human-sized bats in Guatemala, you know, I, I'd be there. You know, I'd be letting them fly me down there. I'd be able to get malaria shots because, you know what, Jeff would be there. So when these people say, oh, man, can can I make money off of the story? I'm like, you're lying. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Makes sense. It does. But, um, uh, Mr. R there, you know, I mean, he, he was a preacher. And so when you have a clergyman who would have no reason on earth to come forward and i'm sitting there at the time that i got this story i was actually working at a sporting goods store a friend of mine had purchased a local sporting goods store and he had asked me if i would come in and work for him for a little while and get this store off the ground because he's like you know know, everything there is to know about hunting and fishing and trapping and all of this stuff everything anybody's going to want to ask a question about you know you're going to be able to answer some questions come help us and you know of course you get you know preachers and doctors and lawyers and everybody coming in you know buying bait and bullets and everything and then whenever just in the course of having a conversation somebody finds out that you're into you know bigfoot or cryptozoology or they come in and you're wearing a boggy creek shirt or something like that and they're like hey have i got a story for you and then they tell you this tale and you're sitting there going okay are are you just trying to you know pull my leg trying to string me along and they're like look please don't tell anybody i told you this please it could cost me it could cost me my job you know, if anybody knew that I was a, the, in my church, knew that I was telling you a story like this, they would have me committed and, you know, they'd have a new preacher tomorrow. Absolutely. So do you mind if I read from your chapter? No. no of how he described it. He yes. said, 
Um, he said it stood nearly seven feet and had to weigh in at around 275 pounds or so with long arms and looked nasty as if it had been sleeping in a pile of leaves because they were stuck to the dark reddish brown hair all over it. He couldn't see any clothes or anything which would make him think it was a man other than the fact it was walking on two legs and stood upright. Mr. R went on to tell me that he watched half frozen with fear and the other half full of curiosity and disbelief as the creature before him turned its nose slightly upward and to the side and started to sniff the air as if testing to see if he smelled like something it wanted to eat. At this point, he could see the face of the creature from the side. He said it had a wide, flat face, but not dished in. It had enough hair on its face to hide the jaw and neck, but the cheeks and other parts were pretty well bare, but looked very dirty. After the creature sniffed the air, it turned and took four or five extremely long strides and was out of sight. Listen. <laughs> I'm okay with all of that, but if something sniffs the air, all I can think about is Jeepers Creepers. And you know what's funny is this story came to me years before I wrote this that chapter in the book, and this story came to me years before I ever saw Jeepers Creepers. You know, I, I, it's like when I saw Jeepers Creepers, I'm like you, I'm thinking, holy crap, <laughs> yeah. Straight. Like straight, you know, something. But then I'm sitting here and I'm going, but isn't that a classic predator kind of yes. move? You know, yes. I mean, testing the air, you know, smelling to see, you know, because I mean, I know when I'm in the woods and there's a, a sounder, because everybody may not know this is what you call a group of hogs is a sounder. If there's a sounder of hogs somewhere near, you're going to smell them. Yeah. You know, you, you're you're going to be able to, to scent them, even with our poor human noses. We're going to be able to scent them. And so a creature like that, you know, you got to think. A lot of people want to, you know, if give Bigfoot these these just astronomical sizes. And which I, I spoke about on, on many occasions about, you know, how they really can't be as big as some say, because there's not enough food in our ecosystem to support something that would have to eat 90 pounds of food a day in order to maintain a, you know, 12, 1500 pound body size yeah. that people say, oh, well, what about horses? But you can drive by any pasture in East Texas and see horse. They stand out there in the middle of the pasture all day long and eat cows. Yes, they do. In the middle of the pasture all day long and eat, you know, elk, things like that. People hunt them all the time and kill them because they're standing out in the middle of a field eating. So if you've got a creature like Bigfoot that you don't, you know, it's something that's never seen, you know, by very few lucky people are they seen. And we don't have any concrete photographs, things like that. You think about elk and deer and all of these things. You can go in any field in East Texas and find deer tracks, deer scat, deer everything, deer hair, blah, blah, blah. Dead deer on the side of the road because they're eating on the side of the road. But if you take a creature that is, and I don't like to call Bigfoot an omnivore. I like to call them, I've, I've, I don't know if 
somebody else had made up this term or if I created it. I like to call them a megavore because I think that Bigfoot creatures eat everything. I think yeah. they have specialized gut. I think they are able to eat very rancid, very putrid meats that say if they kill a 200-pound hog, they can drag it into the thickest, nastiest bush, and they don't have to come back out for weeks because it's gone, until it's gone. Yeah. And they can eat it right up, you know, maggots crawling, the whole nine yards able to eat it. Well, and, I've heard stories of people seeing a Bigfoot on the side of the road eating roadkill. Yeah. So I'm, I'm in my belief, you know, my theory working in mind here, I'm more along the, you know, they're able to eat a lot of things that nothing else eats because they have a specialized gut. They have enzymes, bacteria, things in their gut that allow them to eat very woody plants that allow them to eat plants that might be poisonous to others. And they're able to eat meats that are more putrid, even dige even digesting bone. I mean, it's just like uh, in Africa, the uh, hyenas, they are able to process bone because their jaws are so powerful that they can crunch and eat bone. And so when they get through with a kill, oftentimes there's not a lot left of it because they eat bones and all. So if we're talking about, you know, a creature here in North America that might practice some of these same uh behaviors they eat more of a carcass than just you know take a couple of bites of meat off of it they eat it right down to the bone you know only the most you know, hardest thickest portions of bone would be left and then those get drug off by raccoons and uh, uh possums and, and coyotes and everything else so they're scattered yeah so you wouldn't find a big bone pile somewhere and i also think that these creatures may even practice cannibalism. Maybe one reason why that we do not find any bodies, any dead bodies, any evidence, any skeletal remains. That's a possibility. Because yeah, that. if they practice, may, and they may not practice it on each other while they're living, but they may consume their dead. There are uh, tribes in certain cultures throughout history that have consumed their dead. They believed that to consume their dead was like they were consuming their spirit, their, you know, taking in their energy, their whatever, you know, the power of grandfather, all of that kind of stuff. So, you know, it's not beyond thinking that these may do that. I mean, we, even dogs, domestic dogs, if they come up on another, if they're hungry, they come up on a dead dog that's laying there, they will eat it. They will, and I know this for a fact because my neighbor has two dogs, they're siblings. She found them in the ditch, and they were eating on one of their dead brothers. Oh, man. They were hungry. So, you know, that's why I like to call them a megavore because, you know, they may eat things that we, you know, ant beds. They may dig in ant beds to get... uh ants yeah they say oh, how's something so that big gonna eat ants and and get full well they're not trying to get full but maybe it provides a the, some of the chemicals that are in the ants uh, maybe they provide a, something that they need in their diet we don't know that but they could they could eat insects they could eat worms they could eat leaves they could eat fish you know just everything that is imaginable out there to eat and yeah. if we give them a more human size take away 
the you know 12 14 16 foot reports give them a more human size somewhere eight feet or less because you know we have you know humans that have reached that eight foot mark and we have you know nba basketball players today that are they're hitting that you know seven foot six seven foot eight you know things like that so over seven feet is not unusual in humans and if we give them those sizes, a, even a seven-foot-tall human being can survive two pounds of food a day. Who couldn't find two pounds yeah. of food a day in the woods or forest if you are a megavore, if you're able to eat things that nothing else out there can eat? You, you would be able to, you know, like you said, go on the side of the road and find a dead deer, drag it off in the bushes. That deer weighs 150 pounds. How many days could you and your siblings or mother, father, whatever, wife, you know, a mate, rather, I wouldn't say wife, I don't guess they get married. <laughs> <laughs> you know, how many days, if you can survive on two pounds of food a day, how many days could you survive off in the bushes with your family with this carcass? Without having to leave the thick brush again, you know, you could last That's a week. True. So these creatures wouldn't need to come out but once every few weeks from their safe haven and find a roadkill or kill an animal themselves. You know, almost six million hogs in the state of Texas. I mean, yeah. they could probably find a hog to kill somewhere. Um, but even at that, I mean. Vegetation, uh, things like uh, one of the new uh, theories that I'm working on is I've been correlating data where I've been finding evidence near holly bushes. Uh I have found an extraordinary amount of evidence, evidence near holly bushes. And holly is a medicine plant for thousands of years. The, the holly from the leaves and it will treat fever and infections and things like that. Also, yopon is a type of holly. Yopon in East Texas, that's one of the deer's favorite foods. And it grows by the tons around pine trees. What does Texas have in abundance? Pine oh, trees. Oh, yeah. So you've got plants, hollies and yopons, which are the same, you know, in the same family that grow around water sources and around pine trees. And it has a very medicinal value. And like I said, deer eat it just by the tons. What if, you know, Bigfoot is eating this or utilizing this for medicinal because, you know, if they live, they got to get sick at some point in time. Just like when a dog eats grass. Just like when a they dog. They instinctively know. That's right. And they will seek, seek out a specific type of grass to mm-hmm. eat that they know will make them, it'll do one of two things. It's going to make them throw up or it's going to soothe their stomach. It's kind of working on that. And that kind of goes along with the, you know, Bigfoot. Uh, being more human-like than primitive human-like than monkey, gorilla, ape, 
And there's so many different reports out there. Uh, some will say, yes, it was more human-like. Others will say it was more Neanderthal. Others will say it looked like uh, a monkey. Or I've even heard someone say it looks like a person with Down syndrome. And, you know, one of the things I, I, I like to contribute with that is the fact that, you know, we don't all look alike. Exactly. You and I and Big Dog are all three human beings. Yeah. Last time I checked, that was. <laughs> um, and, you know, we have two eyes. We have a nose that looks this relatively the same shape. We have a mouth. We have teeth, our jaws, our chin, our, our where the way our eyes are set and everything are the same. But we look completely different from one another. So we have people that run around here. They pull their shirt off. They, they look like they're still wearing a sweater. <laughs> yeah. you, you know what I'm saying? We, we have human beings that are hairy, beings that are tall, short, fat, thin, muscular. We have all these different, we have Chinese people. We have Hispanic people. We have, you know, Native Americans. We have uh, Anglos. We have, you know, people from all over the world. And nobody looks exactly the same. Your Germanic people did not look like your French people. And they lived just a few hundred miles from one another. And, you know, um, talking about your chapter, it seems that what some of this could be is Bigfoot. But there's one lady that you talk about who says that they saw, uh, let's see, where was it? Lake Neck, uh Late Nacogdoches. Uh -huh. She said yeah. that they had seen something and they both said Bigfoot. But they saw what looked like horns on its head. Right. The one that walked across the uh, old top road. Yeah. Is that the one? Yeah. And they both said that they, and, and you know, it could even be as, as something as much as like when I said my sightings. And the creature had mud caked in its hair. I've even went as far as to say, you know, what if it had mud caked in its long hair on its head? Yeah. And that mud had dried, it may even look like horns. Or as you mentioned in another story, tufts of hair. Yeah. Just natural growing. That's just the way their hair is. Well, you know, think about if you did not brush your hair. <laughs> How wild. After sleeping, going camping and sleeping just one weekend out in the, in the bushes. And you didn't wash your hair, brush your hair, or nothing. Come Monday morning, you just jumped up and decided to go to work. What would everybody be like? Ooh, girl. <laughs> what? Yeah. And be like, oh, child, what did you do to your hair? Mm -hmm. <laughs> My gosh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was me this past weekend. <laughs> we left on Saturday, got back yesterday, and I um, was so exhausted that I couldn't even make it home. And Kenny said, you need to stop right now and get a hotel. And so I had to go to Walmart and get some shampoo and conditioner. And I said, oh, I feel bad for these people because I know I have to stink. <laughs> Hair was all matted. 
<laughs> we came back. This is no joke. We came back, or we actually went down to hunt on a ranch in Uvalde, Texas. We stayed there for like six days. Mm-hmm. It was so cold. I mean, it, it was like 26, 27 degrees the whole time we were there. After like day six, we're getting everything packed up to come home. And I can smell myself. I mean, the fungus was among us. <laughs> I told my buddy, I said, I got to have a bath. And he said, hey, the only thing you can do is go rent a hotel room. I said, I don't have the money for a hotel room. Just go take a bath. You know, if I was going to rent a hotel room, I'd have been rented it last night. At least I'd sleep in the bed. <laughs> right. And he was like, what are you going to do? I said, well, I'm going to get you to drive me down here because they have those metal water troughs, round metal water troughs. And they're about, you know, two and a half foot deep and 10 foot across or whatever. Yeah. And I said, take me down there. I said, I'm going to get in bath and he was like man there's ice on top of that thing like two inches thick and so he drove me down there and I, found a rock and I busted the ice open and i climbed in that section mm. ice and all two inch ice on top of it. i climbed in there and i scrubbed from head to toe there were some mad cows because they were <laughs> they, they were drinking some, some gone dishwashing because that's all the soap we had you know we didn't yeah. like take we didn't take like Irish spring with us, you know, we just took like dishwashing soap. And so I, I, I scrubbed from head to toe. And when I got done and I got out, I was freezing to death. You know, I dried off, changed clothes and I'm back at the camp with clean clothes on and everything. And all of a sudden I'm like, Oh my God, everybody does stink because <laughs> if you don't stink anymore, you smell the people that do exactly. stink. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. Well, uh, what, big dog? I said I used hand sanitizer one time. I was so dirty, and I've been out in the woods for a while, and the only thing I had was hand sanitizer. Yeah. yeah. I typically take baby wipes. Yes, I, I do I do like to do that. I, in my backpack, my hunting pack, I generally now keep like one of those big, huge containers of the unscented baby wipes. Yes, that's exactly what I get, unscented. And I now I do the unscented uh, deodorants and things like that. Back then, I mean, there were no unscented deodorants you could buy. I mean, so you just didn't use deodorant. And, you know, I'm like, now I'm sitting here going, I will put on Old Spice deodorant before I go without it. Now. The deer will smell me 100 miles away before I'm going to stink. I ain't that mad. <laughs> no doubt. I was scared of putting on some kind of frou-frou deodorant and a bear walk into my camp thinking, Hmm, what's that? An Let's apple? See, I'm the guy that's going to like be rubbing a pork chop on his chest. <laughs> Cause I'm like, Oh, please. I can't, I, it's not legal for me to go hunt a bear, but if he comes in and fight, wants to fight, I've got a pretty good chance of getting him. <laughs> oh my gosh, Jeff. You're going to find a way, aren't you? <laughs> I'm, I'm going to try. I went fishing one time. I was like 12 years old. The person owned this pond. Kept telling us he's got an alligator in this pond. And I'm like, bull crap. You don't have an alligator in your pond. Blah, blah, blah. So we go fishing. Sure enough, there's an alligator in the pond. I made it. I told the guy that owned the pond, he was there fishing with us. And I was like, 
you catch that alligator, he said, well, have at it there, boss. If you can catch him, you can have him. This alligator was about four foot long. He wasn't no monster. Needless to say, it took me about 45 minutes. I had that alligator. And me and that alligator had one heck of a fight. Now, they made me let the alligator go. Oh. Because then nobody think I was really going to catch it. But, <laughs> you know, you, you, my dad and everybody learned real quick. You don't ever challenge me to, you know, <laughs> to, you know go catch that. Or, you know, I had a guy tell my dad one time, he said, man, I can't catch this horse out in our pasture. I just give that horse to somebody. I grabbed a rope. I went out there and caught that horse. I made my dad bring that horse home. That man said I could have it if I could catch it. <laughs> Don't challenge Jeff Stewart. Because <laughs> he will do it. Because <laughs> I may not have enough sense not to do it. You're funny. All right. Well, we really appreciate you coming on to the show and talking about your chapter in the Wood Knox book. Um, it's uh, an interesting look at uh, Bigfoot, really, yeah. is what it kind of boils down to. Like I said, I just wanted to go somewhere that someone else had not really went. All right. Well, thank you so much, Jeff. So for those who don't have the book, it's called Wood Knocks. It's volume two, Journal of Sasquatch Research by David Weatherly. And you will find Jeff's chapter in there along with a couple of other interesting individuals such as Lauren Coleman, which we all know, um, Richard Freeman, Dave Spinks, uh, Eric Altman, and that's just to name a few. And I'm pretty sure you can get this on Amazon. But if you want a signed copy, just look where David Weatherly will be appearing. And he'll be more than happy to sign a copy for you. If you see Jeff out there, he'll sign it too. Won't you, Jeff? Oh, you know it. Big Dog and I would like to thank Jeff Crypto Hulk Stewart for being on the show. And if you have a story that you would like to tell, send us an email. My email address is Ann, A-N-N-E, at SquatchDogs.com. Or you can email Big Dog, and his email address is BigDog at SquatchDogs.com. If you are in the Columbus, Brookshire area, send Wesley an email. His email address is Wesley at SquatchDogs.com. Thank you for listening to Mysterious Woods. Thanks for listening to Mysterious Woods, a podcast by Squatch Dogs. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Until then, be very afraid of the dark.